Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, we are talking uh, today about difficult roads lead to beautiful destinations. And I want to take you for a walk on what is arguably the most difficult road anyone has ever traveled. However, this difficult road leads to the most beautiful of destinations, and in fact, in all of human history. And to bring you along this difficult road, I'm gonna take you to uh, 10 places, 10 stops that we're gonna visit. And it's, and it's a road that Jesus walked. And I'm gonna take just a, a verse 10 different verses, and just kind of get us an idea of this road that Jesus walked, what he endured, some of the difficulty that he walked um, before we celebrate this Easter time. And I'm not going to just um, read them quickly, these verses. I want us to really understand what's happening. So the first one is from Philippians 2.7. It says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. This is Jesus. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Secondly, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And then this stopped. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. The next stop, Jesus prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. The next stop, a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. This is looking at Peter. Finally, she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. And the next stop on the road, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail the king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Another stop. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called of the skull. They, there they nailed him to the cross. This stop. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. And then finally, he said it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Thanks for taking the time to listen and to let those scriptures sink in this morning. And to summarize this road that Jesus walked just on base what we read. Number one, he chose to humble himself and make himself less for our sake. He was despised and rejected and none of us cared. Number three, he was greatly anguished. Number four, he was betrayed by those closest to him. Number five, he was severely beaten. Six, he was publicly mocked. He was alone and without support. He was crucified. He was innocent, and yet he chose to bear the penalty of our sins. 
And finally, the 10th point, he died. And that's just a picture of the difficult road that Jesus traveled, and he walked it for us. He did this for our sake. He endured these things for you and me. And if the road of Jesus would have ended here in death, it would have been the greatest tragedy of all mankind, but it didn't, and it doesn't. There are 10 points of misery, but it's this 11th point that changes everything. On the third day, Jesus conquered death and rose again. And the Bible tells us when some women were going to visit his tomb, an angel was there and said to them, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day. And it's this 11th point. This 11th reality of Jesus' life would change his everything about his journey and about our journey as well. The road to this 11th point was difficult. It was very difficult. We saw that. But it leads to the most beautiful of destinations, victory over death. <clears throat> if you took a moment this morning, I'm sure you could list 10 points from out of your own life where you experience, where you experience adversity and hardship. There may be moments when you were betrayed. There may have been moments when you faced adversity and hardship. Moments where you were mocked. Moments where you were falsely accused. There might be moments in your life where you can say that I had extreme anguish. Or moments where you were physically or emotionally abused. What I do know is this, everyone listening to the words that I'm speaking now will experience the 10th point, the point of death. And all our roads we walk, all the roads we walk will take us to this final point. We cannot bypass it. We, there is no detour around it. And from the world's point of view, it will appear this to be the greatest tragedy of our life. But for the follower of Jesus, it, the followers of Jesus, it will be the moment of our greatest tri- triumph. The world will look and say that's tragedy. But for those who follow Jesus, it will be like triumph. Because we will experience what Jesus did. Life after death. Living in heaven eternally. But this final triumph will not be experienced by every person. In fact, not even by most people. Unfortunately, it will only be experienced by a minority of persons. And I know this because Jesus tells us. He says this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates wide for the many who choose that way. And there aren't many who like to hear that. In fact, many don't want to hear about hell, or even though Jesus speaks about it. They like the idea of heaven, but protest when the Bible or the preacher suddenly begins to speak about hell. They, they cry out, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? How can God do this? The answer is he doesn't. You choose it. Look at the verse again. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and his gate is wise for the many who choose it. Who choose that way. 
You choose. God gives you the freedom to choose. And he wants this saving, intimate, close relationship with you. He doesn't want to be like that distant cousin that you see every, maybe twice a year. You like them, but you don't see them. He wants to be like, instead, like that strong, healthy marriage where it's daily interaction and there's communion and there's talk and there's listening together. God doesn't want to be like the drive-through experience where you yell into a speaker and wish a wing around and grab some food and on the way you go. He wants to be like the family dinner where you sit down together, you don't rush, you take time, and you converse, and you laugh, and you listen as you grow. You choose. God does not and will not force you on the narrow way which leads to him and eternity in heaven. You choose which way you'll follow, but know this, to choose heaven is to choose Jesus. To choose heaven is to choose the Lord. So there's no misunderstanding. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the danger for the many, the many, is that they adopt, they like to adopt nice sounding philosophies, that ideas that sound good to them, sound right to them, but it's not God's way to him, to his life. And so they lead to death. And the Bible warns us in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. If you want what Jesus offers you, you must follow him. And that means that we surrender. Surrender is usually a bad word, but in this case, it's a wonderful word. It says, God, this is as much as I can do. You take over. You do what you can do. And it's great and it's wonderful because he loves you so much. He wants the best for you. John 10.10 says, I want to give you life. How abundantly full. John 3.16, I want to give you life. What kind of life? Eternal life. But would you surrender? Would you trust me? that I would be Lord, of your, to be Lord of your life, to take you. Jesus said it this way, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But sadly, many won't. And there's this wide road where these many walk, it's a path that leads to death. But it's your choice. You are making it for your life, even now. In the beginnings of the Bible, there's, there's a story of people who are traveling a difficult road, and, and it leads to a beautiful destination, and in many ways it reflects, parallels our own story. I'm sure this is why God included this story in the Bible, so we could connect to it, relate to it, and, and uh, compare our life to it. It's about a people who were born in captivity in the land of Egypt. We know they were slaves. Life was not good for them. They cried out to God, help us. God hears them. And he sends one called Moses to lead them out of captivity, to lead them into freedom, to this place where they call a promised land, a land of their own. It's a beautiful destination. The road to the promised land, we know the story, would prove to be very, very difficult. <clears throat> the people would face obstacles, and they have to place their faith in God and trust him when life doesn't make sense. How are we going to get through this Red Sea? I don't know, but God does. We have no food. How do we get food? I don't know, but God does. God always provided. 
So after 40 years of going through Red Seas and famines and uh, challenges and, and doubt and misery, after 40 years, the people finally arrived at the edge of this promised land. And we read in the first chapter of Numbers how there were 603,550 males over the age of 20 standing there about to realize the dream and the promise. They're on the brink of the promised land, ready to go in, enjoy the rewards of all the difficulty that lied behind them. They will now realize the promised land. However, not one of them, with only two exceptions, would ever be allowed to enter. Not horrible. You travel 40 years, you get to the edge of the promised land, and you can't go in. Why? It would, only be because, it would only be because of one reason. It was not because of their idolatry by putting things before God in their lives. They were guilty of that. And so are we. It was not because of their murmuring and complaining. They, they, were, they were guilty of that, and, and so are we. No, it was simply because of unbelief. A refusal to take God at his word, which would keep them from entering into this beautiful destination. Only two people, Caleb and Joshua, would be allowed to enter. So let's back up a little bit. You remember, they're at the edge of the promised land. Moses sends in 12 spies to scout it out before they all go in. And the 12 spies come back, and they all agree that what God said about this land is true. I mean, there's beautiful uh, it's a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back samples of fruits. And this is what's waiting for us. It's so good. It was the kind of land they always dreamed about, traveling through the difficulties, through the wilderness. But there was one thing. And the one thing was that there were men like giants in this land. There was an enemy there. And 10 of the 12 spies said, we just aren't going to be able to pull this off. We can't do it. And the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, disagreed. They said, no, God is bigger than this enemy. He's able to do it. We can trust him. We can follow him. Let's put our faith in God and what he says we can do. But with just one sentence, the 10 disbelieving spies we were able to convince all the rest, hundreds of thousands of men and women, that they were not able to realize and experience what God had promised them. So God sent this unbelieving generation back into the wilderness for 40 more years until the last one of them died. Only Joshua and Caleb, who believed to the point of action, we can do this, would be the only two senior citizens allowed to enter the land. And just like the many today who choose not to trust in God's way through Jesus, their lack of faith in God prevents them from entering into the land, into heaven that God has promised us. And what is sad is the, the people, every one of these people in, uh, that were at the edge of the promised land could have entered the land. There was provision enough for them. There was power enough for them. But the weakness lied in their own unwillingness to obey God to where they would obey. <laughs> they would not obey him. They would not trust him. They would not put faith in him. It's always your choice. God wants you there. He won't force you there. He wants you to say, I trust you, Lord, even when I can't see. 
Sam read for the scripture today, the verse that really summarizes that idea. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. There's the evidence of things we cannot see. As we read through Hebrews 11, which is known as the faith chapter, we read about individuals who believed in God and believed that when he said something, there was, that there's something out there for them, even though they can't see it, they believed it would happen. And it was by faith they believed. By faith they trusted God. God said it was for them, and they said, okay, let's take hold of it. So Noah's name is in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah had never seen a flood. Because, you know, there had never been rain up to this point. The, the earth was covered in these vapors that, you know, that never released, and there was no rain that came down. It was like this big puddle in the sky. He never saw any puddles on the ground. And yet, for over 100 years, Noah labored, believing what God has said. A flood is coming, Noah, and you need to build an ark for safety. And I would bet that, like Jesus, Noah would have been mocked for doing this. He would have been ridiculed for this. He may have lost relationships over this for staying faithful and believing what he could not see, believing God. And Noah trusted God on what would have been a long road of difficulty. But that's what faith does. And it led him to safety and led his family to safety in the ark when the rains did break free and came down and the floods came up. Abraham, his name is in the chapter. We read this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, or obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land, that God would give him his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham left his country, his home, to go to a place. He didn't know where it was, but God said, just go, trust me. And he left believing God, trusting in him, anticipating a place of his own, a land of his own. Abraham was confident. And sure enough, he arrived to the place God told him about. Sarah's name is found in the chapter. And we read this. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed, it says. She believed that God would keep his promise. There it is. She believed God would keep his promise. It made no sense to, to the world and to man how a 90-year-old woman could suddenly give birth to a son. There'd be no reason to hope in such a thing except God said, what happened? And so she believed. That's the kind of faith you and I need to develop in our lives. It's the ability to hear and believe the word of God. Even we can't see it. Maybe it doesn't make sense to us. But if God says it, we take it, we lay hold of it, and we run with it. It's this kind of faith that we need to develop. The ability to hear God, to believe him. It was Simon Peter and other places in the Bible but finished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, let your nets down one more time. And Peter responded, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But get this, but if you say so, if you say so, I will let my nets down again. And this time, the nets were full of fish. So full, they began to tear. A difficult night left a beautiful destination because Jesus said it would. It was by faith, remember, a Roman officer pleased with Jesus. My daughter's way back at home. She's dying. Would you heal her? And Jesus says, yes, I will come to your home and heal your daughter. But the Roman soldier, the officer replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. 
Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. So Jesus did, and she was healed. And here we are today on Easter Sunday, 2020. And as any of us look ahead, we see a great enemy called death waiting for us sometime to come up against us. And we face this giant with confidence because Jesus has already faced it and won. That's why we have joy on Easter. So because we have this hope for tomorrow, we can live in victory today. There is a joy we have, which many cannot know. The many do not know that joy. There's a peace we know today, even in storms, because of who Jesus is. It says we're going to the other side. So I want us to encourage one another as we walk on these roads, these difficult roads, especially when they are troublesome. And this is what Peter said. He said this once in the Bible. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. See, that's the joy and the peace and hope we can have today. We can live with great expectation because what God the Father did and God the Son, he will do in those who follow Jesus. Jesus was like that scout who went into death and came back. Look it. It's great. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you believe me? Peter encourages us, and we can do the same, to be encouragers to one another with the truth of God's word, to remind each other, to press on, especially when the road is challenging and, and difficult, because with God, there's a victory. And where there's victory, there's joy. And the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's right. I see Wendy. That's great. I love that. The ministry of encouragement is one of the most needed ministries in the church today. We need this. We, uh, let me just go on record saying, I love encouragers. I love encouragers. We need people of faith, in faith to encourage us in our faith. It's so easy to, to impact our world with discouragement. Now you think about this. It only took 10 men in one sentence to send hundreds of thousands, millions of people back into the wilderness to die. That's how quick it happened. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb to encourage one another, saying, with God, we can do this. With God, there's victory. I know there's giants. I know there's enemies. They're, they're not bigger than God. We need to declare Hebrews 11 and 1, where God, are, we're called to look beyond what we can see, what we know, to the reality of what we hope for. And with God, there's so much we can hope for. You know, out in Nova Scotia, uh, some years ago, a, a small church gathered in a circle to share in the Lord's Supper. And when they had finished, an old fellow gets up from the chair and he walks around to each person in the circle. He shakes their hand and says this word, till. Shakes their hand and says, till. And what he means is, he's, what he's saying is this, it's only till Jesus comes. In other words, he's saying to his fellow church members, this has been a blessed time together, sharing the Lord's Supper together, but remember, these are only emblems. Let's see beyond the emblems to the day when Jesus comes, let us remember a day is coming when these emblems will be put away and we'll have him. And we can be that kind of Christian who in faith looks beyond the world, looks beyond the trouble, looks beyond the emblems even. And because of Easter and because of the empty tomb, we can look even beyond death 
is the way and the truth we can follow today. But you have to choose it. Let me close with these words of Jesus. He's speaking to a friend, a dear friend named Martha. And in the conversation with Martha, Jesus declares this truth. And then he asks a question. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Do you hear that? Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Here's the question. <coughs> do you believe this, Martha? That's a question I would ask you. Do you believe him? Do you hope in him? Are you willing to follow him? Are you choosing him today? We choose to be among the few who walk the narrow path to life. Who would choose to say, Lord, I will surrender you, trusting you, knowing that you'll take care of me. I will choose to take up my cross and follow you daily. We choose to put your faith in God and see the reality of what we're hoping for. I want to close in prayer, and I want to pray for those of you, maybe there's some listening today who want to need to do that, who really need to say, Lord, I believe in you, and, I, and I, I believe in heaven. I want to be part of that, but I would confess I'm not choosing to follow you daily. I'm not, I'm not, I confess that I am not trusting you with my life and as you as my Savior, the one who saves me. And I don't want to come to the edge of the promised land saying, no, it can't be done. I want to say yes today. I want to believe in you today. I want to follow you today. I want to be among the few who enter. And I can because you did it. You showed us you died a death, but you were victorious over that death. I want to be counted among those who are victorious over death. And because of that, I can have joy and peace today. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, there's, there may be some listening today who know you, who know of you, but don't know you as savior in their life. And they want to be God. They want, they're ready to say, God, I surrender. I want you to make a way in my life. Through all the difficulties I will face, I want you to be there making a way, providing for me all the way up to the end when I face death and you will be there waiting for me to take me home to heaven. Lord, I thank you for this hope and this purpose we can have. We cannot find it in any other place in this broken world. Only in you. And God, so I pray even now as, as people may humble themselves, that you would hear their confession. And God, their desire and their, how sorry they are for how they have not, how they disobeyed you as we all have. And their desire to follow you today, to make you Lord of their life. And God, I pray that as we come around them, equip them and help them, Lord, that they would understand the joy and peace we can have today. We don't have to wait till that day we die. We can have it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.